Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine podcast. This is episode 29. I'm your host, Riley. This week, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. I haven't even talked to you guys since Tiger's crash. So we're going to go over all that stuff. Obviously, terrible for T-Dub. But good news has obviously come in the last couple of days. He's been transferred to a different medical facility, which is a very good sign because it's more of a long-term thing, meaning he can recover there. Um, I don't know what the whole therapy sessions are going to be like and all that kind of stuff. His total recovery, I don't know. Those details have not been released yet. But we're going to go over Tiger for a second. Um, If you guys listen to this show, I'm sure that you covered and went over all the Tiger information already. So we're not going to dive super far into it. But yeah, luckily that Tiger is even alive because it was awful. Injuries to his lower body, it was terrible. So we're going to go over that for a second. Um, Then a couple more headlines. Then we're going to dive into the WGC Workday at Concession. That golf course needs to be featured on the PGA Tour every single season. It was phenomenal. It was really, 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 really good. The golf course just tested every single aspect of your game. The fairways were large, but if you didn't hit certain portions of them, you were going to be blocked out by trees, trees placed in perfect spots. Rory was blocked out on the par five. I think that's the seventh on Thursday. He had a 330 yard drive right down the middle and then had to play a huge cut because he was right behind a tree. The golf course was fantastic. It has the capabilities of hosting probably a major championship. And I think this week opened the eyes to the USGA and all those people that really make decisions because this golf course was really that good. It needs to host a tournament if not every year. It has to be in some sort of major cycle because it was absolutely one of the best courses they've played so far yet this season. So it has to be featured. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Colin Morikawa, obviously, because the kid is a stud. He's a problem for everybody else on the PGA Tour. This is already his fourth career win. He has a major, now a WGC event. The kid's a problem. We're going to talk about Brooks. It looks like he's like officially back. He's got that killer instinct look about him when he goes around the golf course. His putter seems to be back, so we're going to talk about Brooks. We're going to talk about Victor Hovland. He earned a lot of fans this weekend after what happened to him on Friday on the 9th, his last hole of the day. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our guy, Roy McIlroy. He had a decent showing. Uh, We're going to talk about Max, our other guy, who had another decent showing. We lost our bet on him, but he played pretty well after his triple on his last hole on Thursday. Talk about all that. Then we're moving on to the Arnold Palmer 
Invitational, one of my favorite tournaments of the year. We're going to be there. Twilight Nine is going to be on ground Saturday throughout the entire day. Looks like we picked the shittiest day, which kind of sucks. The weather's supposed to be phenomenal Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. And then Saturday is like 100% chance of rain. I don't know how much rain we're going to get, but T9 is going to be there. So we're super pumped about that. Get you guys some photos and then hopefully record a episode, probably some point on Saturday, kind of a recap of Saturday and a little bit of a preview on Sunday. But I want to talk to you guys about my experience at Bay Hill covering it for T9. So we're super excited about that. And then obviously round out the show with all our betting picks, all the betting analysis, all that kind of stuff. But before we get into that, again, headlines, Tiger Woods, near-death car accident. It was awful. Flipped the car. He was in the right lane, went all the way over the median, left side car, flipped a bunch of times. And it was it was a waiting game on Monday just because the no, the news broke and you didn't really know. It kind of felt like a Kobe situation all over again, to be honest. There wasn't a lot of information. Nobody was really releasing anything. And then photos of the car just kind of slowly started to pop up on Twitter. And then it was on the news. And then we heard that Tiger was in surgery and both his legs were pretty much just broken in a bunch of different places. And then I think it turned out to only be one leg. And now after a bunch of surgeries, a bunch of procedures, he's been moved to a more full-time, long-term rehab facility, which is a great sign. He's been up. He's been talking to family. I guess he's been taking a little bit of visitors. I don't know how much communication he's had with other guys on tour, but he seems to be in as good spirits, I guess you can be, after what happened to him. Obviously, it was terrible, but it's a good sign that he moved facilities We heard from T-Dub after the round on Sunday due to the tribute, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. Heard from him for the first time on Twitter, so that was really good to see. But yeah, we're just rooting for Tiger. At this point, golf is not even in the equation right now. He just needs to get healthy to a point where he can just enjoy a normal life with his kids and his family. Because at this point, obviously, it would be fantastic to see Tiger Woods on the PGA Tour again. But who gives a fuck at this point? We're just lucky he's alive. And hopefully he can get to a point where he can walk and maybe jog a little bit and play with his kids. We still don't know the extent of his injuries. It could be way worse than that. It could be better than that. We have no idea. Um, People are relating this to the Ben Hogan situation. He was in a car accident. He was hit by a truck and his car was totaled to dust pretty much. And he came back and won a couple majors and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, Tiger's situation is a little bit different just because of his back injuries. But we'll see how Tiger comes out. Hopefully, we'll get some more information on him coming up here uh, shortly within the next couple of weeks. Hopefully. Annika Sorenstam makes her first start on the LPGA Tour since 2008. She is now 50 years old, and she actually made the cut on the number. She's probably the greatest woman to ever play golf. She's one of the greats on the LPGA Tour, and she came back, and she was rocking red and black on Sunday, which was great. They're obviously good friends, longtime um, golf personalities and the best players pretty much on each tour. So Annika and Tiger have a really good relationship, but it was so good to see her back on the golf course. She is an absolute legend. And to make the cut at 50 in your first start in what, 13 years, that is an incredible feat. So congratulations to Annika. And then the opposite field event down in Bermuda this weekend, um, or was it Puerto Rico? One of those two. Now that I'm blanking which one which one it was. But Brandon Grace gets the W, and that is really a feel-good story because just – I think barely over a month ago, he won Puerto Rico Open, my bad. He lost his uh, father to COVID-19. So this is a really good feel-good story for Brandon Grace. Comes back at the W. I think his last win was 2017, I think. So he's back in the field for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. 
But Brandon Grace uh, eagled the 17th, I think, which is a par four coming in and just kind of flipped the leaderboard. Had a great Sunday. So congratulations, Brandon Grace. But that's all we got for headlines. So let's jump into the workday um, at concession. And before we go over Colin Morikawa and all that kind of stuff, there's a couple things that we want to talk about. First is the golf course. So going into the week, we knew that the greens were going to be really undulating. Chipping around the greens was going to be very difficult. The fairways were wide and that all was true. The fairways were wide, but what I didn't realize is, like I said in the intro, if you don't hit the golf ball in the right spots in these fairways, you're you're kind of screwing yourself. You're not going to have good lines into the um, into the greens. You need to be able to create the right angle going into those greens, especially when they're that undulating. And the bunker complexes around the greens forces you to carry a lot of bunkers if you're not in the right side of the fairway, in the correct side of the fairway, rather. It was a phenomenal golf course. It was awesome. It's the hardest golf course in Florida, but it was one of those that was going to separate the field. If you were really, really feeling it, you're going to score really, really low like Colin Morikawa did, right? He was what, 18 under and one, or you're going to play like shit like DJ did finishing plus five and almost in last place if you're not completely dialed in pretty much in every single portion of your game. Obviously, something can make up for you lacking in strokes gained in a certain category, but your iron play needed to be phenomenal. Nobody in the world right now is better than that at Colin Morikawa, so that's a little bit of a miss on my part. <laughs> last week, I think at the Genesis, he was even first in strokes gained approach, but then was like last and I, I don't know. It just didn't match up. His putter was terrible going into the week, but getting off track, the golf course concession. The greens were some of the best greens I've seen on the PGA Tour. It felt very Augusta-like on the greens with the kind of the lines these guys were reading. And around the greens, the chipping was a nightmare. Off the, I forget what par five it was. I think it was one of the ones on the back, maybe 13. The guys were making doubles. Guys were making triples. And if you didn't hit those greens, especially in the right spots, it was going to be very, very tricky up and downs. And you had to have your short game absolutely locked in. And I don't know why this golf course has never been considered for a PGA Tour event before because it was money. And I think it should be, like I said in the intro, I think it absolutely should be part of the PGA Tour circuit, if not in the major circuit. That's If you held a PGA Championship at concession, that would be one of the best one of the best PGAs ever, I think, just because it does, it separates the field so much and it bunches up the leaderboard, right? Because you can make a lot of birdies and you can make a lot of mistakes, but you can also make a lot of birdies. So that's why the leaderboard was so bunched up. Obviously, Colin ended up kind of pulling away, but I mean, what was there? Four guys tied for second at 15 under, and then there was 14 under, 13 under. It was so bunched up. You can make a lot of birdies, and I think it is perfect for a PGA Championship, if not just to host a yearly and annual PGA Tour event. I think the golf course was amazing. And then on Sunday, the Tiger Tribute. I don't know who originally planned that. I don't know when the plan came about. Obviously, the car crash happened on Monday, and then you didn't really know what was going to happen to Tiger for a while, not really until Tuesday. So I don't know if it was kind of a last-second thing. I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know if it was Nike, Nike's idea, blah, blah, blah. But that tribute they did for Tiger was perfect. Rory. All the Nike guys. And then you had Cooch with the red hat, Billy Horschel with the T-dub on the side. And then obviously Colin tried to get a red a red shirt from Adidas and they shipped it to him, but it didn't get there in time because of weather, I think. It delayed shipping times. But what they did for Tiger was pretty much the perfect thing you could do. And it happened all over the golf world on Sunday. Even fans were wearing red that I saw on Twitter. But Annika, like I said, was wearing red and black. The maintenance crew at the Puerto Rican Open all were in red and black. All those guys, a bunch of those guys down there 
were wearing red and black. And I just think that is the perfect tribute you could have for Tiger Woods. And he even said that after he tweeted out the first time we heard from him since his car accident. He said, you guys golf fans and the golfers have no idea how much is this helping me through this crazy time. Like he loved it. And I think it was perfect. Obviously guys. Um, and I'm about to talk about this guys couldn't do it. And we, that brings us to Max Homa and our guy and people were coming after him on Twitter before the round. He tweeted before Sunday, I think it was Saturday night that he didn't pack a red shirt. And because of endorsements, agreements, endorsement agreement, obviously that due to his sponsors, he didn't have a red shirt and they didn't send him one. I think it's, I think he wears foot joy. And I don't think people truly like get what that means. Like you can't just go to Dick Sporting Goods and just buy a red polo and just wear it on the course. Like he has five or six sponsors on his shirt that he needs to wear. And if they don't send him the right shirt or he didn't pack the right shirt because this was planned closer to the tournament, not when they got to concession, they get there on Monday. And that's what happened. That's when the crash happened. So there's no way to predict that. There's no way to know that you need to bring red. So it's all on the sponsor at that point. And if you don't get something in the mail from your sponsor, then you can't do anything. So Max came out and said, I won't be able to wear red and black on Sunday, but I'm going to honor him by playing tiger-like golf and just really go out there and focus on my game, blah, blah, blah. And then Twitter kind of came after him. And I think that was just so fucking crazy because I don't know, I don't understand how these people don't get that it's all sponsors. Like if they don't get him the right apparel, then he can't do anything about it. Like I said, he can't go to Walmart and pick up a $12 polo that's red and just wear it to the golf course. He'll lose a bunch of money. His sponsors will be pissed. And it was just crazy that they were coming after him. Could he have put like a TW on his hat or whatever? I mean, maybe, but I don't know how people blaming him that on Max. And I can't believe they came after him on Twitter. I was reading all those and I was just fucking pissed because he can't do anything about it. So obviously we're going to back Max, but just an incredible tribute for Tiger. And I think they did it perfect. But now we can get into Colin Morikawa. And this start to his career is just crazy. I think he has a little over 40 starts. Now he has a major win, PGA Championship at TPC Hardin Park. He won the workday at Muirfield Village, Jack's Place, the week before the Memorial last season. And now he has a WGC event title. This dude is for real, and he's a problem for the PGA Tour. He's the second player ever to win a major and a WGC event before turning 25. And I think you could probably guess who the other guy is. His name is Eldrick. And his round on Saturday really set him up for the win. From holes 5 to 12, he made birdie on every single one aside from 10. And he made the turn at 31. He had a couple late bogeys at 13 and 17 and pushed him back a little bit. Kind of brought everybody back into it. But on Sunday, he was in complete control. He made two huge putts to start his round on 1 and 2. He had a nice par putt on 1. Had to hit a bogey putt on two, got it to go. And the putter looked pretty much great the rest of the day, which is really important because he just recently swapped his grip. He's using some sort of like, I don't even know what they call it. It's like a pistol claw type thing. I don't even know what you want to call it. But going to a new grip, you need to hit putts early to build confidence. Like if he doesn't hit either one of those putts, all of a sudden we're looking at a very, very vastly different golf tournament just because he can't trust himself on the greens. Luckily for him, that did not happen. He was three under after his 12th hole and then just kind of parred in after that just because no one really made a push. I mean, Hovland was making a bunch of birdies, but then he bogeyed a couple late and no one really got close to him. So all he really needed to do was make pars. Um, strokes gain numbers for the week. He was 16th off the tee approach first for the second week in a row. His iron play is godly right now. The dude is phenomenal and putting. He was 10th, which is big. That's a huge turnaround. And 
pretty much why he wasn't on my card this week because his iron play of course is going to be really really good off the tee he hits driver very well but his putting stats at the genesis were terrible like beyond bad i think he was second to last in strokes gained putting from guys that who like from the guys who made the cut so he was awful on the greens and on the year he ranks 191st on the greens so going to the grip change might be what unlocks colin as like a solid putter because he hasn't been a good putter. And if he can consistently putt well and get that new grip clicking and that putter going and he starts rolling in these putts, he will be the number one player in the world within the next six months. If he continues to putt like he did at concession and hit his irons like he did at concession and in LA, he is a fucking problem. He's already up to fourth in the official world golf rankings. He will be the number one player in the world in the next six months, especially with major season coming up. If he pops in a couple top fives at majors due to his ball striking and if his putter stays hot, he is going to he's going to overtake DJ for sure. There's no question in my mind. He's so consistent with an iron with his iron play that it it pretty much all lies on his putter. And that is a problem, a really really problem. And his cut, we're going to talk about this for a second, is one of the best go-to shots I think I've ever seen. Like I've watched Rory pretty much his whole career and he has a little draw that he can go to. But sometimes he has a little bit hard time of controlling it, right? He'll overdraw or kind of leave it out to the right. The number of times that Colin doesn't cut the golf ball, I can count pretty much on one hand. It is one of the most consistent things I've ever seen in my entire life. When he aims left and plays a cut, it is going to cut. He never double crosses pretty much. And I don't see him overcut. I think the par three, I'm trying to think what par three it was. It was on the front, I believe. It was playing like 230 yards. It was a back left pin tucked in, tucked behind a bunker. And I think he hit like a cut five wood in there right over the bunker to like 20 feet. Nobody else on the PGA Tour can do that. His ball striking is on legitimately a different level than anybody else. And it's because of that little cut shot. He's so in control that lower body fires first, then the upper body comes in and everything is just like a little three to five yard cut. And he was hitting these shots into par threes where it's right at the pin, probably, I don't know, three feet to the left. And he's telling it to cut. And that's when you know somebody's fucking dialed in. And this kid is on another planet when it comes to iron play. So like I said, if he gets that putter going consistently week in and week out, he is a fucking problem. And he's the guy that I could see winning multiple majors in a row or four or five golf tournaments in a season just because of his iron play. If you strike your if you strike irons like that, you're gonna be in contention. So Colin Morikawa, holy shit. The kid is a stud, fourth win. He is going to be an issue for these guys on tour for the next 20 years. It's crazy. Uh, another young guy that we're gonna talk about, Victor Hovland, man. He earned a lot of fans this week on Friday as probably most of you guys saw on Friday, last hole of the day, he was entering the ninth hole, seven under, seven birdies, no bogeys, and then an absolute nightmare happens. He finds the left side fairway bunker off the tee, skulls it over the green, finds a bush. He blades it out of the bush over the green into the front green side bunker. It's on the front lip downhill. He hits the lip on the downswing. So it kind of like Skulls the ball again over the green into almost the exact same bush. Has to play an unplayable, gets it on the green, makes the putt, makes a nice little quad. It was awful because we had Victor. Thank God he bounced back on Saturday. We had Victor top 10, so that was a kick to the balls. And then after it, he handled it fine. He even called it a little defense mechanism when he was like laughing after. But 
he earned a lot of fans because he handled that really well. He stopped for an interview. I don't know how many guys make a quad bogey on their last hole and then stop to talk to Steve Sands, but he did. He handled it extremely well. And then he came all the way back on Saturday and shot a 66, including an eagle on the par five seventh. Then on Sunday, he got it all the way to 16 under, but then made a bogey on 14 and 16, kind of played himself out of it. If anybody was going to catch Colin, it seemed like it was going to be him. Strokes gained stats for the week. He was second off the tee and third in approach. And then he was 26th in putting. That tee to green number is ridiculous. He's another one where he's better from 10 to 15 feet than he is inside 10 feet, which I think is hilarious. Rory's kind of the same way. But if he gets inside the top 15 at any point in strokes gain putting on a week, he's going to win just because he strikes the ball so well and he drives the ball so well. So again, these two young kids are a problem for the PGA Tour, and I think Hovland is going to get another win probably within the next month, I would say. He is right on the verge of winning again. Hovland's due. And then we have to talk about Brooks. The, the dude is scary again. He has that look again. He is performing when there's pressure, and his golf swing looks in sync. He, he was obviously battling, battling a little bit like of a neck tightness or whatever on Saturday and still played really well through it, but he has that look in his eyes again like, fuck you, I'm going to beat you. If you're the only guy I have to beat, I am going to beat you which made him the popular pick heading into the final round. He was only two back, especially after what he did in the desert at the Waste Management. You would think that he was going to do something like that. He stepped on the 17th, needing to go eagle birdie to tie Colin at 18 under and kind of force Colin to play aggressive because all day Colin could pretty much do whatever he wanted to. Right? It was No one was really getting that close where Colin had to push to make birdies. He just had to make pars. He gets on the green in two. I think he had like 33 feet or 30 feet for eagle and then hit one of the worst putts I think I've ever seen. It didn't get within five feet of going in. Goes 12 feet by, misses the comeback or makes par, and that was pretty much it. Strokes gain stats for the week. He was 20th off the tee, fifth in approach, and second in putting. So again, he just had a really good overall week. Iron play is fantastic, and he's making the putts that he needs to make. Every time he's within 12 feet and he needs to have that putt, it seems like he's making them, which that part of the game is what makes Brooks scary because he hits driver amazing. He's one of the best drivers on tour. He's one of the best iron players on tour. And if he gets that look within 15 feet that he's going to make that fucking putt, that's when Brooks is going to rifle off a bunch of wins and go like back-to-back majors like he was doing a couple years ago. So everybody's got to watch out for Brooks, especially a healthy one. I know the neck is nagging him a little bit, but if he gets that putter going and he gets off the tee, he is a problem. The top five, 18 under Colin Morikawa, three guys at 15 was Hovland, Kepka, and Horschel, and then Scotty Scheffler, another young kid at 14 under. He was playing great golf. He was making a bunch of birdies. So was Billy Horschel. He was hanging in there, and then on the back nine, he kind of kind of fell down the leaderboard just a little bit and then came back with a couple late, uh, late birdies, but... Horschel had a great tournament. He loves Florida. I don't think he's actually ever won in Florida, but he loves the Bermuda grass, loves Arnold Palmer, loves the Honda. Uh, He went to UF, big Florida guy. He was in the water. He hit a shot from the water. If that doesn't tell you you're a Florida guy, I don't know what does. So Billy played great. Again, Scotty Sheffield played great. And then now we got to talk about my guy, Roy McIlroy. And he just had a very up and down week. He had an eagle. He had the second most birdies of anybody in the field with 25. So that's 27 under. And then he made two doubles, made a bunch of bogeys. And this week he actually changed up the putter. I noticed it, I think Wednesday, when the picture started coming out of concession and during practice rounds and stuff, he switched to a blade again. Like he had one, I think a couple years ago. 
And I think it's the TaylorMade Juno, I'm pretty sure, is the one that he's using it. And his putting routine has also changed. As I mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago, he started using the line on the ball to like align his putts. And that continued. And his kind of whole routine changed. He went down, marked the ball, put the line where he wants to hit it. And then he did the JT thing where he stands behind the ball and then goes over and kind of hovers the putter to make sure that's where he wants to go. And then he stepped back, take the coin back, and then he gets into his routine and hits the putt. So very JT-esque of what he's doing on the greens right now, which I kind of like because it seemed like he hit he rolled it decently this week. I'm not saying that his putter was way, way better, but when Rory struggles, it's usually his putter. And I think he putted pretty well. So I would expect the Juno to stay in the bag for the Arnold Palmer. I'm pretty sure. I think actually when he won the Arnold Palmer a few years ago, it was with that putter. So we'll see if it stays in the bag and he rolled it decent. He was 23rd in strokes game putting, but he also missed a lot of short putts. I think just on Friday alone, he missed three or four putts within six feet. And to win, you can't do that. You need to be able to hit those putts. So you have to hit the short ones. But he was 19th in stroke gained approach and 13th off the tee. So he was pretty much middle of the pack, pretty much everywhere. And he came in the top 10. So I would say that's pretty much his like B minus game. So if he turns on the irons at all at the Arnold Palmer at Bay Hill at a golf course, he really, really likes. I think he could be someone to watch for, for the Arnold Palmer. So we'll see. After the Saturday round, he was pretty candid about his game. He was he was very open about it. he doesn't feel like it's in a great spot. He's still working on a bunch of different stuff. So the Bay Hill might be a great place for him to kind of turn it on because he loves Bay Hill. So we'll see what happens this week. Um, for the bets, we we won a couple. Matty Fitz, top 20, plus 150. Victor Hovland, top 10, plus 225 was our value pick. And then we came close on three of them. Max Homo was one shot out of the top 20, so that sucks. I think that was plus 150. Tony Finau played his last 10 holes plus two to finish outside the top 10. That sucked. He like tripled like the fourth hole or third hole and then went birdie, birdie, eagle or something to get it to one under. And then he just made a bunch of bogeys and finished outside the top 10. So that sucked. And then Sung J.M. was comfortably inside the top 20 and then played his last six holes plus three, which included two par fives, which one of them he made bogey on and to finish outside the top 20. So that sucked. And then the Fleetwood and Shoffley picks were just misses. But I mean, we were two bets away from having a really good week at the WGC, but hit a couple. So we'll see. But let's move on. It's time time to talk about the Arnold Palmer Invitational. One of my favorite, probably top five, six favorite tournaments of the year. I would say the Masters, the US Open, the Open. I'm not a huge fan of the PGA, but obviously it's a major, so it probably has to go up there. The Genesis is up there for me. The Arnold Palmer is right there for me. Usually the WGC Mexico, but since they moved it from Chapultepec, I mean, it's whatever. But the Arnold Palmer Invitational is one of my favorite tournaments of the year, so I cannot wait to get into this. And T9, like I said at the uh, beginning of the show, we're going to be there on Saturday. We're going to be boots on the ground, watching the golf, following Rory, watching everybody. Hopefully Max makes the cut. Um, He's going to be on the card again, yet again this week for sure, just because he keeps making us money. I mean, out of the last, what, eight weeks, he's lost his money twice. So he's going to stay on there for sure. But I cannot wait to watch professional golf again. It's pretty funny. The last golf tournament I went to was the Arnold Palmer. Last year, I went there for a practice round. But Twilight Night is going to be there on Saturday. So we're super pumped. Like I said, we probably, I'm probably going to record an episode when I'm down in Orlando Saturday, even when I'm at the tournament maybe, but definitely Saturday night, there'll be a little Saturday recap and preview for Sunday, but I'm very, very excited to get down to Bay Hill. It's one of my favorite top five favorite golf courses I've ever been to. So I can't wait. 12 of the top 25 players in the world are in Orlando this week and other big names are joining them too. So I can't wait. So let's go into the field. 
Terrell Hatton is back as the defending champion. And since putting on that cardigan last year, he's grabbed five top 10 finishes on the PGA Tour and two European Tour wins. So he's only gotten better since he's played in this golf tournament. So of course, he's going to be one to watch. He has other high finishes at this golf course too. And like I said a few minutes ago, if Roy McIlroy is looking to get his season finally jump-started. This is the right place to do it. Along with a win in 2018, he hasn't finished outside sixth at this event since 2017. And he's coming off a sixth-place finish at the WGC, so our guy's going to be one to watch. Other big names in the field include Max Homa, Victor Hovland, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, Paul Casey, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, and Jordan Spieth, who's in good form, I think hasn't finished outside the top 20 in his last three starts. He's making his Arnold Palmer debut on Thursday. So we're very, very excited to finally watch Jay Spieth. I've only watched him once, I think, in person before. That was at TPC River Highlands at the Travelers, I think, in 2018. So I haven't caught in a bunch of Jordan Spieth, but hopefully he makes the cut so I can watch him. He's making his Arnold Palmer debut. The course, Bay Hill Club and Lodge, par 72. 7,400 yards. Obviously, that's going to depend on what tees they're, um, where the tees are and the pins are and all that kind of stuff. Originally, Dick Wilson and Joe Lee designed it. And then it was uh, reimagined and redesigned by Arnold Palmer, I believe in 2009 is when he kind of came in and put his touch on it. Bermuda Greens, just like last week, just like pretty much every Florida golf course we're going to see in the Florida swing, like PJ National and Sawgrass. So same greens. All the Florida guys love these, like Kiz and Horschel are guys that love Bermuda greens. So that's going to be something to look for. The weather, like I said, Thursday's great, 75, sunny. Friday, sunny, 77. Saturday is rainy, 70, 70 degrees. And Sunday is partly cloudy, 71. Um, might a little chance of rain, but I don't think it's going to. And the wind's going to only increase as the week goes on. It's 10 miles an hour on Thursday, 10 on Friday, 14 on Saturday, and 16 on Sunday. So the wind and the weather might be a problem come the weekend. So that's going to be definitely something for us to pay attention to when we're picking our guys this week. Key stats. And I feel like this is one that I say every week, but this is just another spot that they're important. Another week, another golf course that demands good iron play. The greens at Bay Hill annually rank as some of the toughest to hit in regulation. Data Golf has a tool that measures each stroke's gain category against each other to determine which one causes the most variation among scores in the field. And approach is number one this week at 37.3%, followed by putting at 32.1%. So iron play drastically separates this field. So that thing is going to be something that we need to pay attention to this week. And another one, total driving. So Bay Hill cannot be overpowered. It demands that your entire game pretty much be in a really good spot. But that being said, it's a longer golf course. The rough is longer. It's penalizing. So finding fairways at a high rate while also mixing in pretty decent distance, you need to be able to move it just a little bit. That's going to be huge. So total driving is going to be something that we look at. Good drivers of the golf ball. And then my last thing for this week is experience. You need you need good experience at this golf course. You need to have played it a couple of times, especially around the greens can be a little bit tricky. Course maintenance, good places, course, course management rather, not maintenance. Course, course management is super important. Um, scrambling is going to be important. And all that has to do with knowing where to miss certain greens in certain spots. So experience at this golf course is going to be huge. So that's also something that we're going to look at. A bunch of guys that we have the um, have on the card have good finishes at Bay Hill. Data golf information, course fit. Number one is Royal Port Rush. Number two is Olympia Fields Country Club. And number three is Congressional Country Club. Trending of the players in the field, number one is Victor Hovland. His last three starts are a T6, a T5, and a T2. You could say that guy is trending towards a win. Paul Casey, he has a win, a T12, and a T5. 
And Max Homa has a T7, also has a win, and a T22. So Max is playing, excuse me, really good golf right now. Percent chance to win, baseline, course history, course fit, all that kind of stuff. They have Roy McIlroy at number one, 8.9%. Bryson DeChambeau at 8.3%. And Victor Hovland at 5.6%. And I was reading a stat, I think it was Justin Ray tweeted it out, that at the WGC workday, Bryson had his first positive strokes gain putting week since the U.S. Open. So if that putter comes around, Bryson might be a little bit of a problem around Bay Hill because he's played well here in the past. I think he actually has a runner-up finish. He's not on my card right now. He might be later in the week. Um, as you guys know, I'm not a huge Bryson guy, so I don't normally put him on the card. But he had a horrible round at the WGC and then kind of played just pretty pretty okay golf, especially that, I mean, that 64 was phenomenal, but the rest of the week was all right. He might be a guy to watch, but let's go over some betting odds. Roy McIlroy is the favorite at plus 900. Victor Hovland behind him at 12. Bryson's at 13. Terrell Hatton, the defending champion, is at 1,800. Patch Greed's at 1,800. Paul Casey is at 25. Maddie Fitzpatrick's at 25. Ustazen's at 25. Sanjay Im's at 25. If you go down, Billy Horschel, the Florida guy's at three. Jordan Spieth's at three. Jay Day is going to be a guy to watch at 3,500. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood's at 4,500. Will Zalatoris is another guy to watch just because of his iron play is plus 5,000 and Max is at 5,500. During the early coverage of, I don't know if it was featured groups, but it might've been just early coverage on Golf Channel. Uh, Bones was following Bryson and Will on, I believe it was actually Sunday. And Bryson called Will one of the most gifted ball strikers he's ever seen. And that is a big compliment coming from Bryson, who's played with Tiger all the time, has played with Tommy Fleetwood, has played with all these guys that are known for ball striking, Henrik Stenson. And to call Will Zalatoris one of the best ball strikers you've ever seen is a huge compliment. So he's going to be a guy to watch. I don't actually have him noted down at this moment, but he may be included later in the week when we go over uh, the Twilight Nine card that's going to be released on Wednesday. But let's jump into the bets. Won a few last week, but let's have a huge week over at Bay Hill. One of my favorite, again, one of my favorite tournaments of the year. So let's jump into it. And we're going to start with our, both our guys. Roy McIlroy first. He loves Arnie's place. Since 2017, he has a T5, a T6, a win, and a T4. At the WGC, he finished inside the top 10, obviously, like I said already, and pretty much had a C game. On the par fours and par fives, he played those total at 16 under and then the par threes killed them at plus four i don't think that's going to be a problem again this week at bay hill their par threes aren't extremely challenging the only one that could kind of get you is the second hole really is a longer par three have to carry a bunker there's a bunker on the back side it runs off to the left um so that hole can be a little bit challenging but their par threes are pretty i don't want to say easy but they're moderate they're not going to kill you so i don't think that's going to be a problem for rory this week He's a great par five player and will have to take an advantage of that here. The par fives are very gettable. If you're in the fairway, you can reach all of them, especially 16. 16, you need to birdie, if not need to eagle to gain strokes on the field. That's pretty much a par four for those guys. You just got to drive it to the bottom of the hill in front of the left hand and bunker and just hit it in the middle of the green. It's a guaranteed birdie. You're going to have probably a seven iron to that green. So Rory's definitely going to have to take advantage of his length at the par five. So he's going to need to hit fairways. But like I said, history here is very and very important. And he has that. The putter looked a bit better at the WGC with the Juno, with that blade. So if he keeps that putter, if he proves even a little bit more this week, he's going to be in the mix. And like I said, he's the favorite at plus 900. Um, I'm going to bring up the odds right now. DraftKings have been updated them throughout the day. And Rory's plus 110 for a top 10. I don't know if that's 
worth it. You can get plus 200 for a top five, which might be on the card later this week, but I'm going to have to do a little bit more research. You really got to love Roy for a top five finish. So that's one of our guys. And then Max Homa again. He was one shot away from finishing inside the top 20 last week, and he's our guy, so he's going back on the card probably. He's third in trending of the players in the field, like I said a minute ago, and has played here before. He notched a top 25 finish just last season. His iron play, iron play is critical around Bay Hill, and his swing seems to be an absolute full control. His swing is gorgeous. It's been posted all over Instagram. Coaches like Andrew Rice are looking at, at Max Homer right now. His swing, it couldn't be more perfect, and he's really striking the ball. I expect that to continue at Bay Hill, especially after being able to finally rest for a few days. He's been traveling all over the place. He was in LA, went all the way to Florida, and then now he's just driving a couple hours maybe north to Orlando, so he's going to be able to finally get some rest because he's played in this will be his seventh week playing in a row. So he rests today, then get out for a little practice round on Tuesday. He has a little bit of experience at this golf course, so the practice rounds don't have to be super intricate in finding these spots because he kind of already knows. He has some familiarity with the golf course. So Max Homa is going to be a name uh, we look at for sure. He's plus money for a top 30, which I don't know why he isn't being valued more. He's up to top 40 in the world. He's trending in the right direction and he's still plus 138 for a top 30. So we're going to take that. I can already tell you that's going to be on the card come Wednesday. But if you like him a lot, he's plus 225 for a top 20, which I also might dabble in because I think he's playing really good golf. And with a day of rest, with two days of rest, I think he can come back and just play very well, very well again. So Max Homa plus 138 for a top 30. Matty Fitzpatrick, this is just another guy that loves Bay Hill. In 2020, he had a T9. In 2019, he had a solo second. In 2017, he had a T13. He had a top 30 finish in 2016. His last two starts are a T5 at the Genesis and a T11 at concession. He's just playing great golf. He was inside the top 20 in strokes gained putting and approach last week, which are the two categories that I'm looking at most this week, right? Aside from driver, putting and approach play, Data Golf has the two most important stats at Bay Hill, and he's doing both of those things extremely well right now. If that putter stays hot, he's going to have another great week in Orlando. I don't know where I'm going to put him yet, but he's plus value for a top 20 at plus 125, which that's probably the range I'm going to put him. I don't know if I love him for a top 10, but I like him for a top 20 in that spot. Mark Leishman, just another guy that just loves him some Bay Hill. He had a top 20 finish at the Farmers and had two decent weeks in LA and in Bradenton. He was second here last year, T23 in 2019, T7 in 2018. He won it in 2017. He had another top 20 finish in 2016. Again, this dude loves Arnie's place. His iron play is the best part of his game. And if the wind picks up around Bay Hill, which it might come the weekend, the Aussie is a great bet. He's currently plus 225 for a top 20 finish. He's plus 138, just like Max for a top 30 finish. That's probably where I'll put him as a top 30, just because that's great value for him. I think when the weather gets worse, the Aussie gets better. And he he loves Bay Hill. So I like Mark Leishman just to kind of continue that trend. He vibes He vibes at this golf course. So the big Aussie is going to be a good bet. To another Aussie, Jason Day. He's going to be another great bet. Maybe even I might even dabble for him to win this week. The last two seasons, he's had to WD from this tournament because of injury. But before that, his track record is really solid. He had a T22 in 2018, a T23 in 2017. He won it in 2016 and had another top 20 finish just the year before in 2015. So he missed the cut at the des- in the desert at the Waste Management. But since then, he has a T7 at Pebble and a T18 at the Concession. His putter seems to be on track and he was 15th strokes gained off the tee last week, which will definitely help him around Bay Hill. 
if his iron play continues to be solid, even if he improves on it, he really could make a run at getting a title here. And recently, it seems like guys that are winning golf tournaments, aside from Colin, are guys that haven't won in a couple years. Jason hasn't won in a couple years. I think this is a great spot for him to kind of get back in the winner's column. So watch out for Jason Day. His odds, if I bring it up real quick, I don't know if he's going to be plus money for a top 20. Oh, he is, plus 164. So that might be that might be a bet you can hammer. Jason Day plus uh, plus 164 for a top 20. Then we're going to the Italian. Francesco Molinari, he kind of hurt us at the AT&T. Uh, we bet on him. And aside that, he hasn't finished outside the top 10. The AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am is the only start since the start of 2021 where he hasn't finished inside the top 10. And this is a guy that just loves this golf course. He won in 2019, a top 30 in 2018, a top 10 in 2017, another top 10 in 2016, another top 20 in 2015. Like this guy loves Bay Hill. So his iron play has been solid so far this year, ranking 36th in strokes gained and 25th in proximity. He's plus 164 for a top 20. I think I really like that. Again, he just really, really likes this golf course. And that that's a thing. Horses for courses, especially at Bay Hill. Every time you watch the Arnold Palmer Invitational, it seems to be kind of the same guys at the top of the leaderboard. And that's just because it's one of those golf courses. And Molinari is one of those guys. So who isn't one of those guys who hasn't really had a really good track record at this golf course is Victor Hovland. He obviously had a gigantic week at the WGC. His last three starts, he hasn't finished outside the top five. But at the API, he's made both cuts, but he hasn't finished inside the top 40. He was third in strokes and approach at concession and second off of the tee. So that may outweigh his history here just because those are the two stats that Data Golf is focusing on, especially total driving is the one that I threw in there. He's doing both of those things at a very high level right now. He's, like I said earlier in the show, he feels like, or it feels like he's on the verge of winning again. And I think the Arnold Palmer would be a great spot to do it because I think this golf course really fits his game. He's going to have to putt well. He's going to have to roll the rock a little bit better than he did at concession. But I think this golf course really could fit his game. So we're going to look probably at Victor Hovland come, you can't get, come Wednesday, you can't get Great odds. He's minus money for a top 20. You're going to have to dabble again for a top 10 like we did last week at plus 150. But he's been playing so well. The stats are important around Bay Hill. He's doing very well. So I think Victor Hovland could definitely contend this week again. Patrick Reed, since joining up with David Ledbetter, if you guys don't know, is one of the historically great PGA Tour golf coaches. He's fantastic. And his game has really taken a step forward. They're working on eliminating the hands in his swing. So it's really getting to the top and just focusing on rotating the body and just making it more rotational, making his swing a little bit more consistent just because Patrick could get a little flippy with his hands at the bottom. And that's when you start overdrawing. That's when you kind of leave him out to the right is when you're using your hands a lot at the bottom of the golf swing. And Ledbetter is getting him to kind of take that away and just really focus focus on the rotation of his body. And it's really, really helped. He missed the cut at the Amex, but since then he has a win at the Farmers and a T9 at the WGC. And he has good history at, at Bay Hill. Last year he came in the top 20, T15, and he had a top 10 back in 2018. If he drives it well, he's going to be dangerous. He was sixth in strokes gained approach at concession and 11th in putting. So if he can find fairways, he is going to be definitely a guy to look at just because of his iron play and just because his short game also. At tricky greens, you're going to miss greens at Bay Hill. That's just what's going to happen. So you're going to need to be able to get up and down. He has the best short game on the PGA Tour. And then if he continues to roll it like he is right now, he's going to be definitely a guy to watch for a top 20 finish for sure. 
If we go to Louis Eustazen next, this guy is trending. Three starts in 2021. He has a T29, a T11, and a T6 trending completely in the right direction. He had a T9 back in 2015 at Bay Hill, but really hasn't had a solid finish since then, including a few missed cuts. But this is another situation just like Hovland where form could outweigh history in Orlando. His putter was great at the WGC, and if he can get his iron going, I think Louis Ustazen could be a solid top 20 pick. He's currently, if I can finish, uh, find him super quick here, he is plus 110 for a top 20. So not crazy value, but again, if you wanted one that his form is just really, really good right now, you could go to that plus 110 for a top 20. And then we're, this week, again, we're going to the Florida King. He kind of hurt us last week, but can, concessions, a tough golf course, but we're going to Sunjay. Disappointed us in Bradington, but... He had a solo third here last year and had another third place finish in 2019. He was good off the tee and on the greens at WGC, but his iron play was really bad. He was on, he lost strokes on the field with his irons, and I don't see that happening two weeks in a row. He's a way too good of a ball striker to do that multiple weeks in a row. He's plus 125 for a top 20, and in this spot with that history, I think that's great value. An off day or two. He didn't play for a couple of weeks, which he doesn't normally do. He plays pretty much every week. And before concession, he didn't, he didn't, I think he took two weeks off, which he doesn't do. So I think just kind of staying in form and going back to back weeks with play, I think could actually help his iron play. So I think that kind of value in that spot with as history, with his history, easy top 20, 20 pick right there for Sungjae. And then the last guy that we're going to mention is Ricky. So he has finished inside the top 20, three out of the last four appearances at this event, and he was struggling for a little bit, but he carded a top 20 at the Genesis just a couple weeks ago. He was great. Off, he actually missed his first. This was the first WGC event that Ricky has not been a part of, I think, for the last 10 years. So that's kind of tough for Ricky. But again, he struggled for a while, carded a top 20 at the Genesis. He was great off the tee, ranking 15th. He was great on the greens, ranking 5th. But he was second to last in strokes gain approach. That cannot be the case at Bay Hill. You'll get your... You'll get your ass kicked if you do that at Bay Hill. So he's going to have to improve that iron play. But if the putter stays hot and he hits fairways, I think he could make he could make a decent run at Bay Hill. I really think so if he dials in that in those in those irons. And Ricky, you could probably get for plus money for a top thirty finish just because of his recent form. Yeah, plus one eighty eight. So that might be a really good bet to look at value wise. Coming off a good performance, he just needs to get those irons down. Irons dialed in, but he likes Bay Hill. Obviously, he was Arnie's guy. He's a big face of this golf tournament. He always, him and Puma always do a great job of doing some sort of like apparel collaboration. But Ricky around Bay Hill is always a good bet. So look at that, plus 188 for a top 30. And then just a quick note before we get out of here is Luke List might be also a really good name to look at. He has three solid starts before missing the cut at the Genesis. He had a T21, a T10, a T30, and he has three straight top 20s at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And you can get him, if I can find him really quick, he's going to be a little bit further down the list he might even be plus money for a top 40 finish, which might be huge. He's plus 225 for a top 30. So if we go down the list a little bit and find him again, yeah, plus 138 for a top 40, I think that could be a great play. Made three of the last four cuts, three straight top 20s. Love that pick. So that's a quick note for Luke List. 
But that's it, guys. So follow the Instagram at Twilight9Pod. My personal Instagram's at Twilight or <laughs> at Riley Hamill underscore rather. Uh, Wednesday, as you guys know already, is where everything comes out. The betting article mid morning, and then the Twilight Nine card on the Instagram and YouTube comes out at some point on Wednesday afternoon. So keep an eye out for that. And again, keep an eye out for another episode this week on Saturday, probably afternoon or nighttime, just because we're going to be at Bay Hill. Super excited about that. So we're going to do a little recap the Saturday preview Sunday before a winner is crowned Sunday afternoon. But that's it, guys. That's a show. Let's get back on track at Bay Hill. Share the show around with anybody in your family that loves golf, friends in your life that loves golf, rather. Share it around. Follow the Instagram. Follow my Instagram. And I will talk to you guys next, or not next week. I will talk to you guys on Saturday. Peace.